With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. It was like something from a movie, like the, the police aren't coming. It was like something out of a zombie apocalypse film. Um, you had people climbing up, you had people just getting closer, and we hadn't been stepping for long when the mob surged forward and pushed. I remember going down, and, and in those situations, everything slows a little bit, so you can kind of almost hear individual voices as well as the mob, and I just thought, this is it, I'm going to get crushed to death now. Game over, I'm not going to, that's it. My life is over. Hello, welcome back to the Brendan O'Neill Show with me, Brendan O'Neill, and my special guest this week, Kelly J. Keen. Kelly J., welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. It's so good to have you back on. And to be honest, it is really good to see you in one piece. Mm. Uh, watching that footage of the events that took place in Auckland just a couple of days ago on Saturday, we're now speaking on Monday. I did think to myself, what is going to happen to Kelly J? Is this going to get really, really serious? So I want to talk about the incident, of course, in Auckland, what happened, what it was like, how we think we got to this kind of situation. I want to dig into all of that. But I guess I just want to start off by asking how you are. I mean, millions of people have now seen the footage of you surrounded by a deranged mob throwing things at you, screaming in your face, dousing you with water and soup and genuinely trying to get to you in order to harm you. And it looked absolutely terrifying. You're now back in Britain. How are you? Are you okay? Are you still shaken or or are you on the mend from that awful experience? I guess at the moment, everything feels like there's, I've just watched it Mm. and I've got some recollection of it. Um, But I have watched it since and um I realise how like terrifying it was, but I also look at the women around me protecting me and the security, and I think they saved my life, and I don't think they all got out unscathed by any stretch. So I'm just minded that whilst I'm the person that everyone's talking about, there were a lot of women that were injured that day, and it's it's just an absolute blight on New Zealand and the rest of us, really, uh, the rest of the countries that are allowing this stuff to manifest. Yeah. And um, I want to ask you about those women because I've seen a new angle on the mob attack. And it's very clear from the new angle, which is slightly higher up, mm. that some of the women around you, some of the stewards actually got pretty physically manhandled and it did look incredibly scary. Yeah. So as I say, So many people have now seen this footage, and I really do think it's opening people's eyes. But we can talk about what you think the the long-term consequences of it will be. But let's go back to the moment itself. So you say you feel like you're just watching it. It must feel like a bit of an out-of-body experience. But what do you recall of that moment? Because we've seen you looking pretty scared. I know that you did a follow-up tweet thinking to where you thought if you fell down in that moment, you thought to yourself you might never get up again and it could have been game over. What was it like being surrounded by so much feral hatred and contempt and that extraordinarily menacing situation you found yourself in? Do you remember what what it was like in that moment? 
Yeah, well, my security said the police aren't coming. You know, it was, it was like something from a movie, like the, the police aren't coming. Um, and I was like, yeah, they're not coming, are they? He said, no, we're going to get you out. We can't. And we had um, men behind us trying to push uh, the big sort of metal uh, fence down um, just directly behind us. We had people climb. It was like something out of a zombie apocalypse film. Um, you had people climbing up into the, what I would call a bandstand, which they call something else, which I can't remember. Um, they were crawling up. You had people just getting closer. Um, and then we thought, so they said they, they were going to lock arms around me. And then they started taking me through. And we hadn't been stepping for long when the mob surged forward and pushed. Um, there was a lady, such a courageous woman called Tanya next to me. And she not only got pushed with me, but then when she tried to stand up, you can see like just a regular like man in his 50s pulling her back again. It's just, it's just so crazy. And I just thought, I remember going down and and in those situations, everything slows a little bit. Mm. And so so you can kind of almost hear individual voices as well as the mob. And I just thought, this is it. I'm going to get crushed to death now. I'm, I can't get to the floor but um, they're just going to surge forward and it's it's myself and this woman um, against the wall of this bandstand and that's it. We're just going to, you know, this is this is game over. That's it. My life is over. It's a terrifying feeling to have in any situation. Obviously, people often get caught up in dangerous situations. People often get caught up in crushes of people and it can be incredibly scary to feel under that pressure. But in this situation, it's even worse because... The crush and the pressure and the mob was driven not by accidental surging, but by hatred. Yeah. By a venomous contempt, firstly for you, also for the other women who were with you, and for women in general, I think, and the idea that women should have the right to express themselves freely. So did you feel that hatred? I mean, you say that you heard individual voices as well as the kind of mobs shouting. Um, did you hear voices? Did you hear what they were saying? Did you? What kind of things were they saying to you in that moment? Oh, just a lot of expletives telling me to F off. A lot of uh, posies in Nazi, mm. get her, um, you know, uh, kill the Nazi. It's those sorts of um, shouts and taunts and, you know, people really rabidly trying to get hold of me. Um, it, it's just a frenzied mob. And and I, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. I never have before, clearly. Who has? But it takes on a life of its own. It becomes like its own organism mm. of sort of feeding off each other's frenzy and hatred. And it just becomes something just rabid and just just, um, just so frightening. I want to work our way backwards from the incident a little bit itself, right back to how we got into this whole situation with trans activism in the first place. But firstly, it, just taking one step back, let's talk about the lack of police presence, because that seems to me pretty extraordinary. And I, I, I guess there's a discussion to be had. And I know that some of your allies in New Zealand are really pressing for the police to answer these questions about why they weren't there. Yeah, I guess there's a discussion to be had about whether they purposefully didn't show up because they couldn't be bothered or if they just were disorganized. But either way, I think that the lack of the police presence gave a green light to the mob. It essentially said... She's a free target. Go for it. How do you understand the lack of police presence? How did that come about? Well, the police were there right on the outskirts when we finally got through and then they realised. And I just, 
I, I really felt like that when I got in that police car and when the police saw me and then they they also helped save my life and get me in that car and then they protected me all day until I left. I then went in police protection until I left New Zealand. And actually I stopped off at Dubai on the way home and I felt safer in Dubai than I did in New Zealand, wow. which um, is something I never thought I'd be able to say. Uh, but I, there was another organisation that day there was another rally, as I understand, after the event. I had no uh, um, information about that before. And that was men versus men, or a lot of men, in the um, Stopping the Sexualization of Children march. Um, and so seems to be a, a pattern globally. The police will stop men fighting each other, but they won't stop male aggression against women, apparently. That's not as important. Mm. Um, and they, I think they were split um, maybe they thought the be kind, loving uh, Rainbow Brigade were what they said they were, which I don't know where they got that from. Uh, you would only have to watch a little bit of their behavior over the last five years to understand that that isn't how this particular mob of people operate. Um, so I don't know. I don't know why they weren't there, but I, I do feel the fact that they weren't there gave license, as you say, to people behave like like I was literally the the things that they accused me of and therefore my life was of no value. Yeah. And uh, I think that you've touched on something really important there, which is that the great awakening of the police, which I'm sure is happening in New Zealand, just as it is in the UK, means that they often do take a step back when it's a trans mob or when it's a woke mob and or when it's people who's ideology they fundamentally agree with. And actually we saw a similar situation less violently at Hyde Park uh, on Sunday where um, Let Women Speak gathered. Venice Allen was there, your long-standing ally. And um, an extraordinary situation where the trans mob was screaming in the faces of these women and they were saying the only good Nazi is a dead Nazi. So firstly, you have that rehash of the idea that women who talk about women's rights are, are Nazis, but then a, a basically a threat. You know, you should be dead is what they were saying. And the police walked away. So do you think part of the problem, both in the UK and in New Zealand, is when the police become politicised, when they become politically correct, they're less likely to treat all citizens or visitors equally when it comes to giving them protection from political uh, groups? It's almost like the police believe there's two sides. Um, and what I think they miss is there are, there are two sides. There's some women who want to speak and there's some violent aggressors who want to stop us. Now, I can't imagine why the violent aggressors aren't on the wrong side, wrong side of the law. Yeah. Speaking at Speaker's Corner, you know, you, you get Jews and Muslims and Christians arguing about religion. These are not low stake conversations, but they're they're often um, animated, joyful. Uh, they listen to each other. Um, that isn't what this mob of um, trans activists. This is not what they come with. They don't come with sort of a heckler's veto. They come with an intimidation and a, a need to make us not speak. And so something has to happen before something does happen that uh, causes. Uh, injury or fatality. And I think that the police need to step up. And I understand that the Met uh, don't have a great record uh, for protecting women, but uh, I'm really not going to allow them to leave us to be beaten the hell out of by loads of trans activists. It is staggering. Uh, I mean, we can come to, back to the British context shortly, but it is staggering that the Metropolitan Police, just after 
this report saying that they have institutionalized misogyny and so on, they still weren't willing to defend uh, a group of women exercising their freedom to protest, their freedom to speak in, in Hyde Park. Um, so sticking with New Zealand for just a bit longer uh, and, and, and that question of how this situation came about, because this kind of thing doesn't come out of thin air. It doesn't just happen out of nowhere when you have such a ferocious mob I described it as almost like a modern day witch trial. It was like you were being marched to the stake and they were screaming and spitting and, and fuming, uh, really ugly scenes. That doesn't happen out of the blue. So uh, we know that one of the problems is that the police weren't around. So there was none of that kind of protection one might expect. But also just looking at New Zealand and Australia, because of course you were in Australia beforehand in Melbourne and Canberra and other places, Hobart most notably, isn't part of the problem that in the two weeks preceding what happened in Auckland, there had been this drumbeat of demonization of you in the Australian press and then in the New Zealand press, where people accepted the idea that you were anti-trans, that's how they described you, as if that's the entirety of, of who you are, and you're an anti-trans person. They accepted that you were far right, especially following the Melbourne incident when some far right people turned up. They accepted all of that, and that demonization I think, really goaded people around Auckland to say, well, this demonic woman needs to be attacked. So there's some answering to be done, isn't there, on the part of the mainstream media and mainstream politicians? Oh, gosh, the media, the media in Australia and New Zealand is lost. I mean, it's just, it's so horrendous. They will just tell lies. Mm. Like, it, it's not even, they blurred my hand. I was doing a live stream and I was fiddling with a zip on my clothing and they blurred my hand and said I was actually giving a white power signal while I was talking about the Prime Minister of New Zealand. Now, the Prime Minister of New Zealand got involved. Um, immigration got involved. There was a high court hearing <laughs> to try and stop me going into New Zealand. Um, I became this monster. Um, like before I'd even got to Australia, there was there was talk about me. It was like I was a celebrity, like a huge kind of influential figure by the time I got there. And actually... Thanks to the way they behaved, by the time I left, I am a hugely influential figure who hopefully has changed some of the landscape for women in both of those countries and certainly that people are seeing what's happening to those women. But yeah, they'd had this high court case when I got to New Zealand. I was um, This woman said, oh, I can help you skip the queues and then took me into a room and interrogated me for two hours and looked through all my cases. I got a note through my hotel door saying that they knew what I was wearing and uh, they hated me and they they could see me. Um, and that was before I got to the event. And then the event just kind of finished it off. But there was a politician, uh, the leader of the opposition in uh, Victoria, Melbourne is the place where we gave an event, who literally verbatim uh, talked about what was on my Wikipedia entry that said that I had connections to some really nefarious men, like the leader of the KKK, and, and basically gave st public statements. So people thought that I really was uh, this this monster that they said I was. And it was all untrue. And and it doesn't matter even if he'd apologized and retracted, which I don't believe he has, but he sort of, he may have um, corrected himself a little bit. But once you've said that about someone, that's it. It's game over. Like, I am that person. Yeah. And I thought the, I, I did want to ask you about Australia, the Australian side of the trip as well, because that seems to me to have set the ground for the insane scenes that we saw in Auckland. And um, it struck me that when you were in Australia, I was reading a lot of the coverage and I was reading all this stuff, this hate monger who has come to Australia and these stupid Australian women who are lining up beside her to spread their hatred. 
And I, when I was watching it, I thought the only hysteria I'm seeing is from the other side. You know, like the independent senator, Lydia Thorpe, who was knocked to the ground uh, in some way, and she was crawling on her hands and knees, and she said, I want to get to that thing and tell her to F off or whatever, that thing being you. We had uh, Nick McKim from the Greens. Uh, he's a, another senator in, in Hobart. And he said, let's stop calling them TERFs, let's call them TURDs, which means uh, trans-exclusionary right-wing dropkicks. But obviously he used the, he used the acronym TURD yeah. because it sounds like shit. He was basically saying these women are like excrement, they're like feces, they are the lowest of the low. That's what he was saying. And yet we were expected to be more outraged by you wanting to stand there and say a woman is an adult human female than by these politicians who were demonising you in the most grotesque way. So in Australia, there was a pretty mainstream push, wasn't there, to have you presented as this modern day Nazi? Yeah, well, dropkick also is short for drop, kick and punt, which is rhyming slang for the C word. So that's what he called me in in Parliament. And um, that other senator, Lydia, I was speaking and she tried to rush me. So she got moved by security and then police. And yeah, then she's crawling on her knees. Um, you know, I'm not the queen. I, I don't need anyone to go on their knees for me. But um, yeah, they're sort of treated as heroes. Like these people who say these vile things about me are treated as heroes. And what, what was interesting is very few, the Australian was good and uh, so was um, Sky News over in Australia. Like both of those were were fair and truthful. All the other places didn't even discuss what my issue was. They just said anti-trans. So there was no like... She campaigns to protect women-only spaces. There was there was none of that whatsoever. I could just be uh, monstered. But, you know, you and I both know, because we've had these discussions many times, uh, maybe your listeners don't, that I've been regularly monstered now for five, coming on six years, um, successfully um, monstered. But that's just for a small bit. And then other people, I've had so many letters that say, I had no idea. I'd never heard of you. And then once everybody started saying that you were this terrible person, I looked you up and I went to your website and I love what you do and I've become a supporter. And I expect there will be a lot more of that in the coming weeks. I hope so. Um, okay, so just taking another little step back so we can trace how this all comes about. I want to talk about um, Hobart in Tasmania. Um, the footage, I must say, it, the footage from there was quite funny. I mean, it was awful because there was a huge group of people. Thankfully, they weren't as violently minded by the looks of things as they were in Auckland. There was a huge group of people who were drowning out your voice. That's why they turned up. You say, let women speak. And they basically said, no way. That's their response. Uh, but your response to them was quite amusing, where you were saying, this is the worst place I've ever been. I think there's one point you said, this is even worse than Scotland, which did make me chuckle, I have to say. <laughs> but um, was that a sign to you? Because I think Hobart was the worst place you'd been in terms of your um your public meetings before Auckland of course was that Hobart assigned to you that things were spinning out of control because there was a situation there it was just a vast number of people who were purposefully refusing to allow women to speak in public was that a sign do you think that things were moving in a really quite dangerous direction at that point yeah and there were MPs there were actual elected MPs in that crowd so for me, I'm sort of sat there and or stood there and trying to speak. And there's a there's a lesbian with disabilities who'd nurse gay men through the HIV crisis. And even after that, when those some of those trans activists realise and that's been discussed, they're like, "So 
doesn't mean you know doesn't mean you have a right to be transphobic just because you nurse gay just because you're a lesbian and you're part of the LGBT and you nurse men and you put your life on the line and you know supposedly but no, you know we now know that that wasn't the case but nobody knew at the time um that it, they weren't putting their lives on the line for these men and and it's um yeah i i just thought all bets are off really like when you can have a serving politician just repeatedly sticking their middle finger up at me and not caring that the electorate and their bosses and their colleagues can see such dreadful behavior. It's just insane. It's civilized behavior has just has just disappeared. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's talk about Melbourne then, because Melbourne was uh, also a bit of a turning point. I, th- I feel like your visit down under was full of interesting turning points. So Melbourne was the uh, city in, as you say, capital of Victoria. It's the city where um, the far right turned up. So a bunch of blokes in black and they were doing Nazi salutes. I think they had a banner saying destroy pedo freaks or something like that. And of course, this was instantly held up not only by media and politicians in Australia, including Daniel Andrews, the um, premier of Victoria. He made a comment condemning those people. What a great guy. Yeah. <laughs> the the lockdown tyrant now wants to um, attack women who want to speak freely in public. Um, so not only there, also here, of course, on social media, loads of commentary, people saying, see, I told you so, uh, Posey's a Nazi and transphobes in general and Nazis. That was the general tenor of the discussion. So just tell us what happened in that situation, because you had no association with these people. You didn't invite them. They weren't welcome. You presumably were as surprised as everyone else when they showed up. Yeah, well, you know, we we sort of try and attract a certain number of people. I've never actually thought, oh, you know, women's rights, you know who'd love to come and support women's rights is those men that still think Hitler is some sort of hero. Um, so when we were we we were in Parliament, so that's where we came from to come out to the group, and we was um, the MP Maura Deeming, who's now been suspended, and myself, and we came through, and the security said, "There's some men out there, all in black with black masks," and I was like, "Antifa," because that's what we've uh, experienced everywhere. So I thought they were Antifa. When we come out, it's obviously uh, all the people who've come to speak are delighted. So it's quite chaotic. And then there's loads of trans activists, both on uh, blocking the road. So when I look out to my uh, right, is all uh, trans activists. That's one group, I believe. So that's one group that have gathered. And then there's another group of trans activists that are directly opposite the speakers. But the police have given us a really good buffer zone. And then there's these men, but there's also some men for a freedom protest. So that's who I sort of, I can see these freedom protest people. And I'm not really thinking then, oh, where are the Antifa kids? Mm. Um, the first time we see them is just after we've been infiltrated and uh, somebody's rushed the speaker. Like just at that exact time, the Nazis are then peacefully single file marched. Now that I know they got marched to the side and then in front of the trans activists. But the first that we women saw these men who claimed to be Nazis uh, was when they were directly opposite, right in front of the trans activists. Now, what a perfect orchestrated moment for the media mm. to take pictures of the trans activists being angry with a group of men doing a Hitler salute. 
They haven't come in front of us. So there's no pictures where the women are interacting with these men, showing our disgust. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that it was orchestrated. I'm just saying that if I wanted to cast dispersions upon a group of women who are saying, can we just have our spaces? Can you stop sterilizing children? Can you stop saying things like babies have a sexuality in your government literature? It would be quite handy that if we could just totally say that those women are terrible humans by having Nazis associated with them. And then obviously uh, women in this country who have been trying to make everything crap for me for a really long time took that as, um, you know, a, another stick to beat me with. But it's it's absolutely preposterous that anybody would think a woman trying to protect women's rights could have uh, Nazis on her side. You're listening to The Brendan O'Neill Show. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. With most providers like iTunes or Spotify, it's really easy to do with just one click. And if you get this show via YouTube, then make sure you not only subscribe to Spike's YouTube channel, but that you also click the bell so that you are alerted to every new episode. It is utterly preposterous. And I think it's now worse than preposterous. I think it's becoming dangerous. This this tarring of people like you, like other um, women who speak about women's rights and other people in the political sphere, there is this trend now to call people far right. And I think what the Auckland thing demonstrated very clearly is that it's no longer just stupid and idiotic and historically illiterate to refer to people as Nazis when they clearly aren't Nazis. It's dangerous. It primes them to be attacked because the great slogan of the modern left is punch a Nazi, when you expand the definition of who a Nazi is, so it includes more and more people, including women's rights campaigners, then you basically invite people to punch them as well. So I think, and we saw this in Hyde Park, the only good Nazi is a dead Nazi. If you if you demean, dehumanize people as Nazis, you set them up for violent assault or violent threats. But the other thing that struck me was the extraordinary double standards of woke bros in the in Britain in particular. Because if I think about every anti-Israel demonstration of the past few years, every single one of them has attracted anti-Semitic elements. You see placards being incredibly disgusting about Jews, calling them Nazis, calling them the killers of Christ, really genuine anti-Semitic stuff. But I've never seen someone like Billy Bragg or Owen Jones or anyone else say, well, that calls into question the whole nature of pro-Palestine politics. They never say that. Mm. But when it comes to a bunch of idiots coming along to your meetings, they instantly say, well, that proves that Posey Parker is a, a Nazi. Do you think that is part, just another part of the process of demonization? You're a turf, you're anti-trans, you're a Nazi. It's this constant process of trying to say that you're an illegitimate actor in the political sphere and therefore you need to be silenced. Yeah, of course. I think this is uh, this is textbook, right? I, I think there's somebody in the 30s or 40s interviewed about what is the what is the method of dehumanizing. And you can also just do a lot of guilt by association. So I don't ever need to say anything remotely uh, far right or even sort of quite right wing to be associated with Nazis. It doesn't matter how far away they stand from me. If you can just sort of just link it a little bit, maybe I've used a word um, and, you know, Hitler said good morning. So I'm pretty sure I'm guilty of that. Uh, but it is, 
it's textbook guilt by association and then uh, dehumanizing and, and monstering. But this is, you know, like I said, this has happened to me for a really, really long time. Um, and I don't listen to it because I don't do guilt by association. I don't care. Coming on this podcast, I don't think, oh, I wonder who Brendan's talked to before. Mm. Um, I wonder if I should actually go on at all because he might have talked to someone I don't like very much. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't care less. I know what I have to say is important enough in its own merit that it, it doesn't deserve any distractions. Yeah, and I feel exactly the same way. I know how utterly ridiculous it is to suggest that you're far right or a Nazi. And when people start to buy into that and get nervous about who they talk to, then the other side wins because it means that we don't have the freedom of association and the freedom to engage that we need to have if we're going to push back against some of these new ideologies. Right, taking one more step back, just so we can get right to the very beginning of how this whole thing has come about. I did want to ask you, you mentioned there uh, in passing women who have been demonizing you for a while, especially here in the UK. And I did want to ask you about that because I find that very disturbing too, that there are sections of the gender critical movement who have a real problem with you. And I noticed that in one of your first comments after the Auckland mob, you did mention this. And um, we know that there are sections in the gender critical movement who have referred to you as a pound shop Marine Le Pen. They always seem to call you pound shop, which I think might have a bit of a class element to it. But they also, um, they brand you as far right and um, you mingle with the wrong people. And they've been doing that for quite some time. And then what we see in Auckland is a situation where those same things are said about you, but with fists and shouts and and the throwing of placards in your face. So there is a connection, isn't there, between, sadly, what some gender-critical women have said about you, which is untrue, and they've set in motion uh, a narrative about you that is actually quite problematic. I know, and I I think it's being female. Um, it's not my first rodeo. I'm 48 years old. Uh, this has happened at school. Uh, this is a this is a female way. This is a dishonest uh, way of uh, totally. It's sort of psychological warfare. Uh, a boy might tell another boy to go away. I don't want to play with you. But what a girl will do was make that other girl a social outcast, and that's what these women are doing. Uh, and it's it strikes me as a, a little bit ironic that the women that have the most terrible, stereotypical, female, nasty, menacing, toxic behaviour call themselves feminists. It's just, it's just so uh, perfect, I guess, uh, which is why I couldn't possibly ever call myself one again. But these, these women, they get into their own little mob. I'm sure they have little WhatsApp mobs uh, where they get each other very excited and frenzied about the horrible things that they can say about me. And it just reminds me of you know, schoolgirls, and um, they they get called the head girls uh, sometimes because because of this. It's not because anyone thinks that they're superior. Um, it's because uh, the way they behave in this sort of Heather's sort of toxic female way, and and they don't even have to be evidence, right? The first woman who well, Women's Place did something to me where they sort of alluded to the fact with no evidence and no sort of con concrete accusation that I was racist and Islamophobic. So they sort of started that. And then someone said, oh, look over there. She's saying these wonderful things about Tommy Robinson and presents the evidence in which I don't say anything wonderful about that man. I simply comment that the left and people afraid of being racist, accused of being racist, would rather let rapists get away with raping thousands of girls across this country than actually stand up for those girls. 
And because of that vacuum, other people could come in and take over the debate um, and, and actually look out for those girls and, and, and bring it to the attention of the masses and stop uh, those girls actually being uh, raped, although I'm pretty sure it's still going on in loads of places. Um, so, yeah, they, they managed to do that. They, they sort of say, hey, look, she's um, painting the, the fence black and I'm, you know, sitting, sipping uh, cocktails. You know, it's just, it doesn't need to be true. They just need to have said it and that's it. I'm, I'm doomed. Yeah. And I, I noticed, I can't remember where I saw it, somewhere in Australia online, there was a leaflet saying something like why you shouldn't go to Posey Parker's demonstrations. And it was all, it was trotting out all the talking points of exactly the women you've just mentioned there. She's Islamophobic, she's racist. And you just think it's a real problem when the movement that sees itself as doing the same thing as you, i.e. challenging the trans ideology and defending women's rights, when they are, when they expend so much energy demonizing you. But just on that issue, do you think that will change as well following the Auckland mob incident? Because I did think to myself, it will be a brave, academic, out-of-touch feminist who now writes a 7,000-word essay on why we must never work with Posey Parker, given what happened in Auckland? Or do you think they'll carry on down that road? I noticed that J.K. Rowling, who was never part of the uh, anti-Posey set, but I noticed that she has come out defending you strongly. That's very positive. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think the other gender-critical women will stay silent, even following that horrific incident, or will they finally recognise that you're doing an important job? I think they do recognise that I'm doing a, an important job, which is why they have such an issue with me. I think it's good old-fashioned envy, which apparently is a terrible thing to say, but I can't think what else it is. Um, I, th- I think it's envy. I think I'm I'm doing a pretty good job at telling everybody exactly what's going on. And I think I do it succinctly. And I think I do it without using um, too many words. Uh, and it's not complicated. Women just don't have penises and men aren't welcome in women's spaces. You know, and we shouldn't obliterate the fertility and sexual function of kids. Um, and I think I'd put it personal that you don't need to be an academic using academic language to talk about that. Do I think they'll change? I think some already have. Um, I, and I, I think it would be unfair to name them because then it sort of links them with bad behavior in the past. But some women have already sort of come out. and sh- The rest of them understand uh, over the last couple of years where they routinely sort of do these horrible attacks and um, I don't respond because I don't see the point. I don't see this, the point in denouncing. Um, it's a free speech event. It's a difficult thing. It's a principle that's really hard to uphold uh, because it's a really important principle. So it will be tested. Your metal will be tested repeatedly. Like, can I let that person who I deeply disagree with say those words? Apparently for me, yes, I can. Um, and I'm happy to uh, argue with those people, and, but I'm happy for them to have the space to actually articulate their point of view. Look at Nick Griffin when he went on Question Time. Mm. You know, it, he was given a platform and everybody realized that he was a complete fool and couldn't be trusted and uh, it, it was made a laughing stock. So that's what you do with with people with bad views. You 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 let people see what those bad views are. Look, they just get quieter, these women. They just understand that every time they criticize me and they say these deeply personal, it's often about my looks. These wonderful feminists talk about my looks um, and other personal things about me. And when they do that, they get less and less uh, praise for doing so. And they've just got smaller and smaller. And now they're just sort of having a little 
circle joyful moment of hating me. That all sounds absolutely right to me. And I think there's also a populist divide here as well. Bear in mind that I use the word populist positively. For me, it's not an insult. Populist means people who have ideas that are popular and want to bring them to as many people as possible. I think they see you as a populist activist who goes on the streets and says things in a straightforward way and attracts um, people they might well look upon as Stepford wives, ordinary women, mothers, wives, people who have normal jobs who come out to to your events in huge numbers in, in parts of the UK and who support what you say. So I think they're worried about the populist element of what you do and they would rather they remained a slightly rarefied academic pushback in the pages. That's why they're also upset about The Guardian. They go on about The Guardian all the time. The Guardian is obviously very anti-women these days, but it's like if they can't be expressing themselves in The Guardian, they get really depressed because they don't know how else to connect with this kind of discussion. Whereas they look at someone like you who talks to ordinary people and they see that as a problem. But I think that what was interesting in relation to that and Auckland, I think what Auckland demonstrated for a huge number of people is that you are, I think Graham Linehan said, you're someone who gets your hands dirty. You're willing to go to the front line, put your neck on the line and um, give real physical expression to the importance of the kind of ideas that you are pushing and, and, and the message that you are pushing Isn't that now something that it's just important for women to do, given the hostility that surrounds this issue? It's important, isn't it, that more women do take that step of taking the argument onto the streets, into the public sphere, and having that confrontation with people who are incredibly regressive and in some cases quite dangerous. Yeah. I mean, it's happening everywhere, isn't it? This idea of populism is a terrible thing. You've got the trucker protest in Canada. You've got farmers uh, across the world. I think uh, Holland. Uh, You've got quite a lot of these movements rising up of ordinary people. Like we have Brexit, where everybody that voted to leave was uh, called a racist and stupid. So there really is a class war. And I believe that, that my role in this particular culture war is to save women and it is a class one i don't mean women as a class i mean i mean working class people are far more likely to suffer under this idea that we don't know what biological sex is yeah absolutely i really agree with that um okay one other thing i wanted to ask you in relation to the question of uh, women and women's role in this whole discussion because this is something i don't actually have an answer to and i really would like to get your thoughts on it so if you look at Auckland and Hobart and other parts of the uh, Australia and New Zealand that you went to, there were lots of men, uh, especially in Auckland, that those big blokes who kicked down the metal barriers, uh, they were just men who were looking to be violent against a woman. Um, there were men in dresses, or trans women as some people refer to them. There were lots of them there as well. But there were also lots of women. And this actually came up, I did a, I did a discussion on New Zealand radio about all this yesterday. And this did come up and I didn't have a ready-made or very good answer. The presenter said to me, but there are lots of women there, especially young women. Now you've seen that yourself. You've seen, you've seen these people uh, shouting at you and screaming at you alongside men and alongside so-called trans women. How do you explain that? How do you explain the attraction of this issue to younger activists, younger female activists in particular? Well, I often say at my rallies um, to these young women, you hate us, but you will become us. Like, you will become a middle-aged woman. You will be far less attractive to men um, when you're in your late 40s. Um, 
you know, that that will happen to you. You will lose your relevance and your youth and beauty uh, will fade and then you'll just be a female body. So I think it is that. And I, I hate that idea because I think that that is something that feminists have been talking about a long time, this sort of this idea of internalized mis- misogyny. But it goes along with the social cohesion, the role that women play generally in evolutionary biological terms. I think we are, we are the cohesion and so those girls more than ever want to fit in with their their peers. They're very frightened of not fitting in. And a lot of those women, and in fact, everybody does it. I've been on the radio with um, with that sterling upstanding man, James O'Brien. And um, I use those terms loosely in all manner of word, uh, ways. Um, but he interviewed me about men and women's spaces. And it was about Topshop changing rooms. And he got really nasty. So he started saying... Um, yeah, but if I'm in the changing room next to you, what do you think I'm going to do? Like, what am I going to do? And he really dismissed any concern that I would have for myself or my daughter being in a changing room with men in that changing room. The very next person that he talked to was a man calling himself a woman who had a man's voice. And he said, oh, I'm just frightened of going in the male changing rooms. And James was like, oh, mate, you know, we got your back, mate. We got your back, <laughs> mate. And I think there is there is a little bit of that, that these girls carry such disdain for themselves and other women that they are willing to listen to the moaning, whining, I just want to pee, those men that call themselves women, that they are happy to see women as the aggressor. They've got some bizarre notion that they, they are in this equal place with these men. And they have no idea whatsoever what they're going to lose. But ultimately, I think it comes down to, you know, they hate us, but they will become us. Spiked couldn't do what we do without the generosity of listeners and readers like yourself. Those of you who donate £5 or more a month or £50 or more a year are eligible to become a Spiked supporter. Being a Spike supporter gives you access to a whole range of perks, including discounted or free tickets to all our events, discounts in our shop, and the ability to bookmark and comment on articles. So become a Spike supporter today by going to spiked-online.com slash supporters. That's spiked-online.com slash supporters. That's a really good way of putting it. And, and I think the generational divide is is fascinating. It, it does tend to be women of a certain age who are pushing back, uh, whereas the younger women, I guess, partly because they're young and young people sometimes buy into stupid ideas, but also they've been inculcated with new ideologies through the school system and the university system. Thankfully, people of our age escape that stuff and still have some capacity to think a bit more freely and a bit more independently, which is incredibly important. You mentioned there James O'Brien and um, that run-in you had with him on his his talk show. I did want to ask you, not about him, but I wanted to ask you about the fact that while you were down under, some men really gave the game away, didn't they? There was a cartoon of you in the New Zealand Herald by Rod Emerson, which is just absolutely beautiful, politically speaking. It's got you with your megaphone, very small. They've done you, He's done you as a tiny little figure. And this huge, hairy male hand pointing down at you like the hand of God, saying, your turf propaganda is not welcome here. That was great. He also portrays me as, um, I look a lot older, yeah. a lot fatter, 
um, than I, I mean, maybe I am that fat and I'm just deluded, but a lot older and a lot fatter and a lot sort of um, grotesque looking. But, oh my gosh, it's like if I did a cartoon to depict that man, I just show him holding holding two guns and just pointing them at his own feet because it was such an own goal. How could he not see when he was drawing it that that's exactly what's going on? It is a man's hand. And you'll notice the fingernail is long because actually what he's drawn is a so-called trans woman. So he's drawn a man's hand. Yeah, this tiny little woman basically saying, do as you're told. Um, and that's exactly what I'm standing up to. And um, I thank him very much. When I first had a cursory glance over it, I assumed <laughs> I assumed it was someone on our side that had, written, <laughs> that had drawn it in support of me. Um, so, yeah, the, these men, they uh, it's what I call um, leakage. And they just, they, they do it all the time. And they don't know they're doing it, but it's it's pretty wonderful. And it's it's very good to let everybody know just exactly what's going on. Right. So Kelly J, just to bring us to the kind of concluding thoughts, um, I guess I want to ask you, you've already touched on this in things that you said. I want to ask you what the message is. I mean, lots of listeners will be aware. They'll know about your work. You've been on my podcast before a few times. Um, there was so much noise and nonsense in Australia and in New Zealand. And also there, there was violence as well. The, the thing that you're actually trying to say was often drowned out. I mean, literally drowned out by people with megaphones and um, making noise and so on. So just remind us what this is about. I, listeners can't see you, but I can see you now. And behind you, you've got your um, banner saying adult human female. That is obviously your slogan. A woman is an adult human female. If you were born male, you will die male. Those ideas, which seem to me really basic and important. But this is about protecting women's freedom and women's spaces, isn't it? And it's also about protecting children and I guess young gay people from going through the transing process. Just give us a reminder of why it is that you're willing to put your head above the parapet so much. Well, I mean, to be bloody minded, I'm just not having it. I'm not having my daughter not be able to walk about this world and have some of the advantages that I had, which is fem female only space and being able to talk about women's rights and us knowing what a woman is. Um, in the next six weeks, I'll be launching my political party, um, which will be this, this message. Um, and then, you know, sky's the limit, really. But a woman is an adult human female. We don't have penises. No woman has a penis. No man has a vagina. There is no such thing as non-binary. And transitioning children is profound abuse, which is how I start most of these talks. Uh, not in Auckland. <laughs> not in Auckland. That was more like, uh, I'm not a celebrity, but, but please, can you get me out of here? But I've met mothers who've lost their kids to this cult. There are other countries so much worse than here. And I, I do fundamentally believe we have a duty in the United Kingdom because, well, certainly in England, because we've done so well by hook or by crook, because we've done so well in keeping some of the most vicious wolves um, from the door, that we have a duty now to totally take this back to a time where people didn't pretend they didn't know what a woman was, where we don't have legal fictions, where we don't have a GRA, a Gender Recognition Act and certificate where you can actually falsify documents into um, saying a lie. Uh, I'd like to take us back there so that we, we become the blueprint of how women can regain their rights uh, right throughout the world. Obviously not in countries where 
rights are a totally different thing. You know, I can't possibly talk about women's rights without thinking about women in North Korea, Afghanistan, um, Iran, um, and other countries where women have a totally different enemy, or rather the same enemy, but a manifestation of uh, of it in a totally different way. So, yeah, that's the message. I'm, we're just not having it. And more and more women are angry, and more and more women understand just what is at stake. So let's just look forward as a kind of concluding part. Let's look forward to what's going to happen next. So you mentioned political party. I would like to hear more about that if you can say more about that. But alongside that, I did want to ask you what you think is happening in politics back here at home in the UK. Um, The Scottish situation, the fall of the Sturgeon regime, although if Hunza Yousaf takes over, I'm not sure the position of women will improve very much. Uh, but we had a huge controversy in Scotland because of their, uh, partly because of the Isla Bryson case and the whole gender self ID nonsense. Uh, there does seem to be a bit more common sense coming to some British politicians, or maybe they just realise that if they go on radio and say, "Well, a woman can have a penis," that there will be an extraordinary amount of uh, pushback from women, as Keir Starmer has has learned. Do you think sense is coming back into? mainstream politics on in relation to this or are they just all playing a bit of a game where on the one hand they don't want to tick off the woke lobby and the trans lobby and on the other other hand they don't want to get pushback from people like you so they're trying to play it a bit safe what do you think is happening in british politics and what might you and your party do to shake that up um i'm going to answer the last bit first so my party's going to launch in about six weeks and the main focus of that is i'm going to run against keir starmer and uh we're going to have a look at women running in other positions, so councillors, police and crime commissioners, these sort of places where actually democracy is a little bit more direct, that a a vote actually is a direct vote to to get someone elected. Um, And what that will do is that will enable the conversation not to ignore women when we talk about things that actually affect women. So we'll have uh, people who can be in, in lots of different places politically, who can say, well, what about women? And I, what I want to do is I want to make it impossible throughout the next general election campaign for anybody to get away with some loose, mealy-mouthed definition about what a woman is and whether or not we should sterilise kids. So I, I want everybody to be pressed on that. I want it to be an absolute embarrassment if they can't say that a woman is an adult human female. I want that to be political career ending because I think it should be. Um, you know, if you if you said, do black people deserve rights? That would quite rightly, if somebody was loose with that sort of, well, you know, it depends what a black person is and some people feel black. I think we would all just say, what a despicable human being. They have no business in politics whatsoever on a large or small scale. So we need women to appreciate that we are enough to be a single issue. And often women defer to something else um, before they think about women. So women on the left in particular often think about left before they think about women, which is why women on the left have failed so spectacularly in convincing Labour to do anything other than just continue on this crazy, uh, nonsensical, misogynist path. What none of them realise is before the next general election, everybody's going to have had enough of this. Um, we are going to be in a cost of living crisis where people really can't pay their bills. Nobody's going to give a royal rat's ass about somebody's pronouns because they'll be worried about whether or not they're going to have a house. Um, and I think what's really dangerous uh, for the state of politics right now is that we've got a Conservative Party who aren't looking after uh, people. 
Um, and really, we deserve an absolutely amazing opposition to hold them to account. And what we know is even if Labour get in tomorrow, the Conservatives aren't going to be a great opposition either. They're both so dreadful that maybe it's time, you know, I would say to anybody, if you have any aspirations whatsoever of being an independent MP, uh, this next general election is the time when you just look at what do the people in your constituency genuinely need? And it's not political posturing and trying to keep to one side or another and having no convictions whatsoever and only caring about your own political ambition and career, which is most politicians, I would say, in the um, in the House of Commons right now. So that's what I think of politics right now. And as much as I love the women of Scotland and the people of Scotland, I think Scotland is so doomed. Um, okay, one more country to ask you about. I think next you're going to Ireland. Is that right? In in um, next month. Yes. Um, and I wanted to see if you had any sense. Obviously, I go to Ireland all the time. I go to a very rural part of the country where people have no time at all for pronouns and other kinds of nonsense. But I want to get a sense of what you think that might be like. There's obviously in Ireland at the moment, there's the Barbie Kardashian case, which is another psychotic case of a very dangerous man being put in a woman's prison in Limerick. Um, and there are other huge problems in Ireland as well in relation to this issue. Do you have a sense of the amount of solidarity you guys will get there and the, or the amount of pushback you might get? What's your sense of how things lie in, in Ireland? Well, I think it's the same as the other countries where it's quite bad. So in, in Ireland itself, um, as opposed to Northern Ireland, I think people are really nice. They sort of think that, you know, that everything will work out in the end and everyone's a little bit apathetic because everyone's pretty decent. Everyone just is very much live and let live. But I think governments take advantage of that at their peril and then eventually people get really cross. So I think there are a lot of women throughout Ireland. Um, I certainly get, I certainly you know, send a lot of t-shirts there and I've got quite a large audience. My second largest audience is Irish. Um, but the most remarkable thing about the women in Ireland, uh, certainly in Northern Ireland, is those women will have been on opposing sides of the troubles and they will work together for this issue in, in a way that women on the left in this country can't. Um, but these women just, they just don't talk about it. They just say, look, this is a single issue. It's really, really important. We are not going to talk about our familial allegiances. We're not going to talk about the troubles or, you know, some of them will have lost people in those troubles um, and they, they don't talk about it at all. And I think they're such admirable warriors um, that they can do that. So I think it's going to be interesting. We're going to have to swap our dates around. I think we're going to do Northern Ireland first and, and Dublin second because Biden's visiting. So <laughs> the police are overstretched and, um, you know, councillors, I'm sure. Uh, for the good man. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's got to be done. It's horrendous. Uh, Geneva's pretty bad. Um, there's, we're also going to Geneva, uh, Vienna, um, German, the women in Germany want us to go there, France, Spain, like this is everywhere. This is everywhere. And it's textbook, exactly the same. Um, just stealing of women's rights. Okay. Uh, my final question for you then is, I'm really glad you're going to these places. Um, I've also noticed in Spain and Germany, when I've been there, there is a real bubbling movement of critical women who are, who've just had enough of this nonsense. So that's, it's really positive to hear that. But I just want to ask you what impact, you might not have had time to think about this because it only happened a couple of days ago. You've been flying around the world and becoming the source of lots of um, discussion. Um but I wanted to ask you what you think the long-term impact of the Auckland 
incident might be. I mean, so mid, as I say, millions of people have now seen this. They've seen a woman, well, a, a group of women. There was others, other women there as well. They've seen you be attacked and monstered and had things thrown at you and had soup thrown in your um, hair. They've seen that great selfie that you were taking of your stained hair, which I think is going to become an iconic image. Um, surely this will make a lot of people think to themselves, even if they might have been complacent before, they might have thought, oh, okay, the real hate movement is not the so-called TERFs, it's the other side. And it might open more people's eyes to the problem of that kind of tyrannical contempt for women who want to speak about women's rights and for women who want to exercise their freedom of speech. So to all those people who said, ha-ha, Posey says she never loses, but she lost in New Zealand. That's not necessarily true, is it? Oh, no, it's such a spectacular win. Um, part of this activism has always been, I want John down the road, who is a scaffolder, I want him to know that his daughter at school is being taught this nonsense. That's what I want. I want people who care for their elderly mothers. I want normal working people who understand what's going on, like the sort of people that are decent, I want them to understand what's going on because at the moment I think this has been a top-down, manipulative, coercive control type movement uh, and it's really abusive. And so what we've done is we've basically said in that New Zealand flashpoint, hey, everybody, look at this. Mm. Come and look at this. This is what's really happening. And then those people, some of them will not care. Some of them will be part of the cult and they'll still think that it was right, that I deserved it. And then there'll be loads of people that are like, I'm going to look into this a little bit more. Let me read about this woman. Let me see what these, what, why were they there? Who are these people mobbing them? It's perfect that I am five foot one and I've got like peroxide blonde hair and I'm easy to see in that crowd. And everybody around me look like giants. Um, and just that, that sort of image of just, just a powerless small woman um, being escorted through a mob of people who, for all intents and purposes, look like they want to kill her. Um, I think it's impossible now to pretend that people don't know what's going on. So those trans activists always, always do my work better than I ever could. They raise they raise these, the issue and they uh, put a spotlight on uh, exactly what's going on better than I ever could. Kelly J. Keane, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Brendan O'Neill Show. We'll be back with another guest and more discussion. Don't forget to subscribe. And in the meantime, keep reading Spiked at www.spiked-online.com.